1: This is Inside the Military Mind, addressing mental health and wellness for service members, veterans, and their families. Brought to you by Family Care Center, offering behavioral health services for both children and adults, and specializing in services for military families and veterans. Family Care Center, our family caring for your family. Hello, and welcome to Inside the Military Mind. My name is Daniel Schreider, and each week, we'll be talking about mental health and wellness for the military-affiliated population. Coming up in today's guest segment, I'll be having a conversation with Nikki Gibson, veteran mentor for Veteran Trauma Court and Operation TBI Freedom. Later, I will be sharing the Homefront Military Network Resource of the Week, Pikes Peak Community College. Our show is brought to you by Family Care Center, the community's leading provider in outpatient behavioral health for service members, veterans, and their families. Those who have served our country deserve the best that their community can offer. When it comes to mental health and wellness, it's important for them to work with someone that they can trust and can understand their unique challenges and needs related to mental health. Whether you are looking for individual counseling, couples counseling, or management and consultation regarding mental health medications, you will find what you need at Family Care Center. Take some time to focus on you by going to fcsprings.com and allow our family to care for you and your family. As always, it would be great to hear your feedback or thoughts about mental health and wellness for the military-affiliated population. Share them with us by dropping an email to militarymind.com at FCCSprings.com. Today's interview segment is with Nikki Gibson. Let's get into my conversation with her and come back afterwards to talk about the Home Front Military Network Resource of the Week. So you're a veteran who volunteers with a few organizations in the community, but it hasn't always been that way. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got into the military service and your time there?
2: Yes. So my military service, um, I joined the Army in 2004, a little bit after I turned 18, after 9-11. I come from a military family. Dad was Navy. Grandpa was Navy. So my sister and I chose Army. I started out as a military police officer. So in 2004, it was the closest I could get as a female to have a combat job. So chose to be a military police officer, two deployments.
1: And how long was your service?
2: Uh, It was a total of eight years.
1: Eight years. Mm -hmm. And your final duty station was here in Colorado Springs? Uh,
2: No, it was actually, I first ETS out of Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I lasted about three months as a civilian um, before I joined the Army Reserves and was stationed out in Fort Bliss for a while.
1: Well, like you, I also joined and went to the Marine Corps and asked for the infantry and they were like, are you okay? (laughs) Um, At the time, I wasn't exactly sure what I was getting into. I didn't come from a legacy family like yours, but I did enjoy that. And that's where I wanted to be. So during your service, I'm assuming you were doing some patrol and combat operations over there with the MPs.
2: Uh, Yes. So my first deployment, um, I was a gunner. So as a female, that was really fun to be a part of and really cool. My second deployment, I was a driver. So a lot more convoys and teaching Iraqi police how to try to do their job.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think, for a lot of people that haven't served or didn't serve in these two conflicts, um, a lot of times they think that there's these hard lines, right? They're like, Mm. oh, you're military police so you never did patrols or things like that. And after a few deployments, it was like, no, everybody kind of did infantry (laughs) stuff over there. Um, It was all a mixed bag of of skills that you needed to do.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Definitely like doing the, you know, route sweeps, looking for IEDs, you know, trying to find people, training the Iraqi police, Iraqi army. it really is a wide gambit of things that, you know, a lot of us do over there.
1: And since transitioning out of the military, um, what has that been like and how did you get to working as a veteran mentor?
2: (laughs) So um, I would lie if I said it was easy. It was not easy. I think it took me a good five years once I got out uh, 2011. To really try and find my path and figure out what I needed to reintegrate myself into society and not just have my disability kind of go to school here and there. So really, it wasn't until my dad uh, brought it up, you know, he was like, hey, you need help. You know, you're not doing as much as you you could be doing. And so he really pushed me to go to the VA, get the help I needed. And that's kind of what started my path, especially in Colorado and was his push and drive as a veteran himself.
1: Yeah. So without getting too personal, (laughs) what were some of the things you were struggling with with the transition?
2: Well, the first transition was it was my second deployment. Um, I did get hit with a mortar. Uh, I was five feet from me, so I took shrapnel both legs got to keep my legs. Um, but with that getting into the VA, you know, it was a lot of in two thousand nine, like, well, females aren't in combat. And I'm like, oh yeah, we are, you know. So, you know, I always kind of joked and said, you know, oh, I got my purple heart from like a paper cut or, you know, stab myself with a stapler, you know. But in reality I was very angry at myself and that and, you know, trying to get better. But it wasn't until I started retraining my thinking of like, okay, people think females aren't, you know, in combat. So instead of me being defensive and making jokes about it, how about I start to help, like, educate people about that, try and explain stuff and not get so frustrated right off the bat?
1: Yeah. And did that help turn your anger
2: it did yeah yeah i w- i ended up being a lot less angry it like i started really going to school once i started kind of thinking that way. And there was, I remember this kid and I say kid, he's probably like 19 and PTSD got brought up. And I was like, well, yeah, I have PTSD. And he was like, oh, is it contagious? And I was like, (laughs) in my first reaction, you know, I wanted to like do something funny. I was like, no, this kid, he just doesn't understand it. So it's like, no, it's not, you know, here's kind of what it is. So really, trying to help explain things to people who just might not understand.
1: Yeah, that's great. And and so you helped him understand the post-traumatic stress part of it? Yes. That that it wasn't contagious. (laughs) There's no (laughs)
2: pill for it. You know, you can say you don't have it as much as you want, but it is there somewhere. It's there. So Yeah.
1: Well, and I appreciate what you were sharing there. And um, what it sounded like to me is one of the concepts with post-traumatic stress is see, we keep leaving off the disorder part, right? Mm -hmm. And that's okay. That's something I like to do the disorder gets it into the DSM five that makes it clinical that makes right. it diagnosable. But working with clients, um, it's good to remind them that it's a it's a post traumatic stress injury, mm-hmm. right? And injuries yeah. can heal. Okay, maybe not a hundred percent. And what it sounds like to me is that you've experienced post traumatic stress decline. Mm-hmm. When you first transitioned, it was rough. You were kind of not knowing what to do. Things were hard. Oh yeah. Um, your dad was there for you. You had some support structure, mm-hmm. and he encouraged you to get involved. And then you start talking about post-traumatic stress incline. Right now, mm-hmm. now we're healing. Right. And we're finding meaning in our story instead of poking fun at it and, yes. and surviving it that way. <laughs> so, um, so how did you uh, become a veteran mentor? Um, and talk about what that entails.
2: Yeah. So originally it started from me getting involved with Operation Phoenix Recovery. It used to be a few years ago, it was just a combat vets only group that I started out as a client at Operation TBI Freedom. So I first started learning about that probably in 2015, 2016, that there was actually, in fact, a whole problem-solving court dedicated to veterans in the court system. So as Colorado Springs and a lot of other states, they have uh, problem-solving courts, so drug courts, DUI courts, stuff like that, and they have a veterans trauma court. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's veterans who have trauma who are in court. Um, So I first learned about that. Um, I eventually got hired on at Operation TBI Freedom and moved up to become a veteran mentor with the Fourth Judicial uh, VTC. So now myself and my coworker, Glenn Cooper, basically just case manage the participants in VTC. Okay, So doing that full time now.
1: Awesome. And what does case management look like for those that don't understand that? Like, I mean, you can share stories, keep it confidential, but anything that you've experienced, even some highlights from your time there. Yeah. So
2: the case management part, you know, I am going to school for social work. So it's already kind of, you know, in my DNA to help people organize what they think right now is like a chaotic time in their life. So the case management side for me is you have A veteran that comes into Veterans Trauma Court, you know, they could be experiencing homelessness, they have a decreased disability rating, they have bad papers coming out of the military, need help getting custody of their kids or seeing their kids. So, really, What we do is we help close that gap into finding all the resources. So instead of having somebody in the court system going 10 different ways to figure out how to get help with housing assistance, then they would just have myself or Glenn um, to go to and kind of come up with a roadmap of generally you're in the VTC for two years. So that gives us two years with this person to try and help them kind of organize as much as they can to successfully graduate VTC.
1: Yeah. we actually talked about that last week with the, the guest that we had, um, Carlos. And it was a concept in Dwayne Francis' book. He talked about starving at the feast. Mm. And he uses the analogy of this young guy getting out of this service. And he's using other terms. But basically, he's walking down the marketplace. And there's so many people. Some are trying to give him things. Some are trying to get him involved in things. Right. And, uh, and ultimately, he's standing there frozen and so he's starving at the feast right like there's so many people in the community trying to help veterans uh, but a lot of times what they don't realize is so much is coming at the individual veteran himself that they kind of just freeze and they don't know what to do so that's incredible you guys kind of come alongside as a guide Mm -hmm. and help them get connected to to what they need. Yes. Yeah. And the other part of it, you mentioned the layers, right? Mm. Um, it was something I came across the first time we were talking about the homeless population. And they're like, so many people don't realize they're like, well, why don't they just get a job? Well, they don't have a driver's license. They don't have paperwork. Right. They don't have so many layers are mm. involved in case management to get someone to even be able to apply for a job. Right. Um, have you come across some of that as they get out? Because I know personally, I was expedited out of the military quickly, so my paperwork wasn't. <laughs> not uh, what it should have been. It was not right. a nice, neat packet. It was very fast. Yes. Um, you help guys with that?
2: Uh, yeah. So generally what we see coming out, a lot of our participants, you know, do come straight from jail or doing some sort of jail sentence. So it's kind of like if you're, if you know you're going to get arrested, which nobody ever really knows that they're going to get arrested. <laughs> right. You're not like, okay, officer, let me grab my 214, my driver's license, <laughs> my medical records, you let know, me everything get ready I for need, this. you know, let me just pack it go bag real quick. Yeah. Um, So generally, there is a lot of trying to help guys and gals get, you know, a state identification card. The two forms of your bills that need your address, but if you're homeless, then you need an exemption letter, um... Kind of everything that Glenn and myself have like learned in the process to make it a shorter wait time to help somebody, mm-hmm. um, the better. Because like I said, like I mean, they even have the veterans ward inside the jail, but that's if they can pretty much verify, you know, you are a veteran, um, which very few of us actually have the little veteran logo, you know, on our ID cards or driver's license. So it has been a very good, like long process into finding the shorter cuts to try and get these veterans or even active duty soldiers, you know, their paperwork and how to make things a little bit neater and organized.
1: Yeah, that's great. Uh, And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Inside the Military Mind with me, your host, Daniel Schreider. My guest today is Nikki Gibson, veteran mentor working with Veteran Trauma Court and Operation TBI Freedom. Um, So you mentioned before we started talking that your husband was also in the service. Can you talk a little bit about some of the complications with the dual service Family. Yes.
2: So our first complication is, um, he is a Marine. So I was army is Marine. So, so there's an instant there's conflict, instant, <laughs> instant conflict. Yeah. Um, no, we always joke about it and we're like, see Marines and army can get along, you know? <laughs> um, but he has his own deployments. Um, his own struggles and stuff. But really, I think us coming together for our own complications, like, and he doesn't mind me sharing it. We are both diagnosed with traumatic brain injuries, so TBIs. So both of us can be very forgetful at some times or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, spacey in words or whatever. But... um You know, everybody has their bad day. And um, for us, it's really, and it's like as corny as it sounds, is communication. You know, if I wake up one day and I'm just like, dude, I am not having it today. I'm just forgetting everything. I lost my keys for an hour. You know, he's there to back me up and be like, okay, you know, let's help figure this out. It's not, I think in a sense, we kind of have it a little bit easier because both of us are struggling in our own sense, but we're struggling Mm -hmm. together. So it's like, I could just look at him and be like, ooh, babe, today's not your day. It's fine you know, I'll help you with whatever. But um, really, it's the communication piece. And just if you're having a bad day to just speak up to your partner and just be like, hey, today's just not my day. So, you know, and kind of be open with it because... It gets a little frustrating at times, but right. I mean, really what marriage doesn't, Right. <laughs> we just have different obstacles.
1: Yeah, no. And I, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Um, I also appreciate your helping people understand TBI, right? Because mm. it's, it's one of those unseen injuries. Right. I and mean, if it's undiagnosed, it can be very frustrating for the spouse that doesn't know about that. Or like I said, if yeah. it's not known in the relationship, the forgetfulness, I mean, forgetting anniversaries, birthdays, yeah. things like that. No, that's There's, all
2: him. He remembers yeah. those. <laughs> (laughs) he's got those. I do
1: not. Um, But but no, it's great that you talk about the communication piece and, you know, the understanding that Mm -hmm. comes along with it, especially for spouses that don't have. So two TBIs in the family. Yeah, that's that's pretty intense. Yeah. But even where (laughs) there isn't one, if someone in the family is experiencing things like that and they did get their bell rung a few times, Mm -hmm. it's, it's something good to look into. And so tell me just a little bit more about that transition. So you actually were at Craig Hospital with Operation TBI Freedom as a client first.
2: Yeah, a client just through Operation TBI Freedom, mm-hmm. which in short is just a military program of Craig Hospital. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know I had TBI for a good five years. Um, so I was, you know, going to school and stuff, and I'm like, man, I really got dumb. Like, I know I was never really good at school, but then my dad forced me to go talk to somebody and they're like, Oh, by the way, you have TBI. I'm like, oh, okay, well, so I'm not not as dumb in school as I thought I was, but <laughs>
1: Yeah. How, how was that for you hearing that sometimes when people get the diagnosis, it's, it's a mixed bag of emotions, right? It's, yeah. it's like, well, this is kind of freeing. I have a name for it. I understand it a little more, but at the same time, is it now this label? Is it who I am or is it just a part of me?
2: Right. So for me, it really answered a bunch of questions I had about myself, like bad balance sometimes, or just kind of running into stuff, you know, walking by. Um, so for them to be like, oh yeah, you know, you have TBI. It was like, oh, okay. That, that kind of brings a Light some stuff. Me personally and also like my husband, we don't use it as a crutch. Like I don't forget like said anniversary and be like, oh, well, I'm sorry. I have TBI. Like, you know, it's just... I don't use it, you know, as a crutch, it's more of like an explanation of how I mess things up sometimes. But overall, I look at it as it's a day-to-day learning experience. Mm-hmm. How I learned something six years ago is not how I'm going to continue to do it, you know, six more years down the road. It'll be different. But yeah, it's just more of a, a learning curve and, you know, sharing with your buddies who do have TBI also like, oh, well, if you know, have you tried this to try and remember something or, you know, try that. So kind of like little life hacks of little TBI world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it speaks to I mean, we're kind of in the golden age of neuroscience, right? We right. we know more about the brain today than we did even a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, our conflicts have advanced that, right? <laughs> Working with soldiers and TBIs and things like that. But what a testament to the brain. So anybody that's suffering from any of these things, don't don't get frustrated with it. Your brain can learn another way. Exactly. Like that comment, I think is a really powerful one. You said that six years ago, I learned one way and now I got to learn the same thing a different way mm-hmm. and be Okay with that. Right. And we can learn a different way. So that's awesome. Is there any other organizations that you've worked with in the community?
2: Uh yes. So I also work with Military Order of the Purple Heart, chapter 423 in Fountain.
1: A little shout out there. Yeah, a
2: little shout out to my guys (laughs) out there. Tell us what they do. So what we do is we are trying to kind of just bring about the community of Purple Heart recipients. To kind of have like their own niche to kind of go to, you know, how you have the Vietnam vets, the American Legion, you know, different chapters like that. Um, Ours is just Purple Heart recipients. So with that, we do raise money and do like fundraising and stuff to help other veterans, not only Purple Heart recipients within the community, but um, any active duty, you know, family members, really Anybody who's of veteran status, military connected, um, if they need any kind of help or financial assistance. and really it's a big brother and I say sisterhood, right now I'm the only female in the chapter, (laughs) but since day one, you know, those guys have just been awesome. They took me in as one of their own, never questioned, you know, my status as a combat vet and all that. So they're really, really good group of guys.
1: Yeah, and what a testament to uh, the infrastructure and the support of other veterans. Oh, yeah. Right? Especially uh, Purple Heart recipients. Yeah, that's great. And it's, I mean, all the groups you're involved in, what is it like? Is there overlap where, you know, Operation TBI Freedom and Purple Heart? Because I know they're all doing different things. They're all working together. So can you talk about some of that?
2: Uh, yeah. So right when you brought it up, I'm like, what am I all a part of? Like, it's a lot. <laughs> right. Um, and sometimes when I like rattle them all off in one, it feels like a lot. But really, its it's more spread out than that. But even the inner workings of all the organizations in, you know, Colorado Springs, especially, is that there are so many organizations that help military and veterans, active duty, National Guard, you know, you name it. The Springs has got it somewhere. Mm-hmm. So like for us who work at Operation TBI Freedom, if we get a veteran or soldier that or airman, whoever um, that comes in and we can't personally help them, you know, we just don't close the door on them and be like, well, I'm sorry, figure it out. You know, we're more the whole wraparound deal where it's like, well, I can't help you. So let me figure out who I can get you linked in with to get those resources. Um, you know, some organizations only take, you know, honorable Discharges. Some only take dishonorable discharges. So really it's just finding the right community within the community of like who they can help and figure stuff out for. If that made sense.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and you no, know, it does. And and each of these organizations all have that same kind of mentality, right? That this is a big, there's so many unique situations, but this is like a big organization, right? There's all these right. different groups doing different things, but working with each other to get veterans what they need. Right yeah,
2: now. I think a lot of uh, the questions I get is like, cause I am in school. So, you know, our participants in vet court will be like, oh, you know, Nikki, I really want to get back into school. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, well, here's my folk rehab counselor over here. It really, I think makes it, a little bit easier, and more tangible to break down if everybody kind of knows everybody's job within the community, you know, so then there isn't that wasted, you know, resource time of me referring somebody out, you know, and not knowing, well, they're automatically disqualified from that program. So, right.
1: Yep. So what are some of the things that you've enjoyed the most working with all these organizations? Is there a particular part that, that really speaks to you? I've heard you and Glenn mention a few events. I think I'm actually going to be a part of one next month. Oh, yes. so. so- <laughs> The whole
2: it. inner workings of yeah. everybody working together. Yeah. I think probably one of my most favorite of being a part of is equine therapy. Mm-hmm. I never thought, you know, being around a horse and like, shout out to the Air Force Academy. His name's Rusty. Okay. He is an awesome horse, really doing the equine therapy and at the end of it, getting to ride the horse. And, you know, I'm originally from San Diego. Like, we don't just ride horses around. <laughs> like, but, um, you know, and Glenn, he likes doing. Um, Taking guys and gals out on like the blacksmithing that, I mean, we have all sorts of different connections within the community so that our, you know, veterans or active duty can have these outlets of events to do outside of just therapy and appointments and, you know, who you have to talk to this week, kind of break up the monotony of, I mean, everybody's life can get kind of just scheduled and you're like, I know what I'm going to do a month from now on Tuesday at two Mm o'clock, you know, try and break that up, but I think you also have fun at the blacksmithing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think one of the things that's so powerful about those events, like you said, um, especially for someone who's in veteran trauma court, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it can be heavy. It can be, hey, you got you got all these obligations you got to meet. It is a great program, an incredible program that's yes. going to set you up for success, but there's a lot of responsibility going along with it. Um, and then having some of those, it's like, man, you're in therapy, you're doing all this, but hey, let's go to a blacksmithing class and you can meet some other veterans Right. I think that's one of the tendencies is that we get out and we start to isolate. Yes. Right. And that's um, such a detriment to any human being. But
2: yeah. And I think a lot of the isolation piece, a lot of people think, you know, well, if I have my appointments and my dentist appointment and, you know, my therapist appointment, I'm technically not isolating because I'm going out and doing these appointments. (laughs) It's like, well, no, if you're only home and go into these appointments, you're still technically isolating. So got to break it up, got to mix it up a little.
1: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Inside the Military Mind with me, your host, Daniel Schreider. My guest today is Nikki Gibson, veteran mentor with Veteran Trauma Court and Operation TBI Freedom. I wanted to thank you for your story, and this isn't the conclusion, but there's been so many powerful pieces. I just wanna slow it down a little bit and help people understand. Hopefully they caught earlier in the show where you shared what your transition started like, With Mm -hmm. a little bit of that isolation and your dad kind of nudging you along. And I know I've had a few people nudge me into getting some services. And I was pretty resistant to that, to Mm -hmm. be honest with you, for several years, even from my wife and and other family members. But your story is such an incredible, powerful journey into turning your TBI, right? Your Mm -hmm. injuries that you sustained into meaning and purpose in your life how does that help you when you're working with veterans? Do you use part of your story as you use these case managements? I mean, not just from what you learned logistically, administratively, but I mean, from what you've experienced, right? Being diagnosed, working through that injury, and then getting involved in helping people with the very same injury.
2: Yeah. I think, um, for the majority of us, uh, operation TBI freedom, a lot of us started out as clients before we got hired. So I think it does give us a good especially like myself a good um mm. insight into certain cues somebody I'm helping might have that other people might not see. So somebody's you know writing something and they're just like man I just I'm just stupid I can't do this and it's like okay well no you're not stupid. You know let's kind of just slow it down, break it down and try to like go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, it can get very frustrating. I think even if you don't know, you know, you have PTS or TBI or anything like that, and you're just trying to sit down and do your bills and you're like, I do it still where I'm like, why do I still have like $200 left over? Like, what did I forget? Cause I know how much money I put into savings and it's like trying to help other people kind of try and figure out their own selves. Now uh, it's kind of like awkward to like explain. It's like, I think it just really gives me, especially a kind of like window into trying to help somebody where it's yeah. not just as black as white is like, okay, you're in trouble with the courts. You know, you need housing. It's okay. Well, why do you need help with housing? You know, do you need help with your disability rating? Do you need help? And a lot of the questions that I come up with, my coworkers are what's well, their clients are participants. It wouldn't even have been a question like, oh, well, yeah, you know, I'm not rated for TBI, but I was, you know, have, So many concussions with explosions, you know, so it's kind of helping them out, figure out what kind of they're missing.
1: Right. Makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And if you were to have a message for people that were struggling with some of those things, what, what would that message be?
2: don't get frustrated. Okay. I mean, it's really easy to say, like I said, like I I'm still open, you know, with my stuff, I like mess up words and I used to feel very, um, self-conscious about it, you know, maybe like going out with friends and like karaoke or something. And, you know, I'm not a heavy drinker, but what if I start slurring my words? And as I've not had any alcohol that night, it's like, well, no, I'm not, you know, intoxicated. I have you know, TBI. And I mess up my words sometimes. Us at the combat vets group, we kind of came up with when I was just a client, uh, we call it my TBI dictionary. So these are words that I have come up with that I've just messed up and we've just adopted as our own. For example, (laughs) verbalage. Verbal language. (laughs) Verbalage. It should be a word. But really, you know, there's that fine line of like finding humor and stuff and not being ashamed of like who you are now. I think I like, I walk that little humor line a little bit, but
1: I like it. No, humor (laughs) is a powerful tool. It can can be a deflection, right? Mm -hmm. It can be a defense mechanism. But the way you're talking about it and the way that you guys are using it even in your group at Operation TBI Freedom? Mm. I mean, having your own language, you're embracing that, right? And right, that's a big part of accepting it, yeah. Yeah, this is, I mean, it is funny. And verbalage to me sounds like an I, appropriate it word, should,
2: it should be in the dictionary, <laughs> right? I keep on joking every year. I'm gonna get like a petition signed, we are gonna get it in the dictionary, <laughs> We're get
1: it in there, but yeah. yeah. But being amongst like minded people and they're mm. like, hey, we understand it, we get it, um, let's accept it for what it is instead of increasing that insecurity. Security, right. Yeah. Like you're constantly trying to correct or hide. Right. And that creates a really big and then you have other reactions. Right. So you yeah. can have an anger reaction, um, things like that. So goes back to the com- community education piece, um, yes. building that infrastructure around yourself. If if some things like this are happening in your life to the listeners, get out, start talking with the VA, start mm-hmm. reaching out to community providers, reach out to other veterans, see what they've experienced and start making those connections because you never know where they're going to go, right? I'm assuming yeah. when you started getting help, you didn't think, man, I'm going to work here one day, right? Yeah,
2: definitely did not. <laughs> you know, and it's it's as easy as a saying. It's like you are your own best advocate. Hmm. If you go to the doctor and you're like, hey, you know, my wrist really hurts. And they're like, mm, I don't know. Well, if you don't tell them you're in pain and it hurts, they're not even going to look at it. So voice your concerns, advocate for yourself. If you don't know, Ask somebody who might know, because little your battle buddies around you, your community, somebody's probably already been there and already figured it out. Right. Kind of help guide you, you know, into my disability. I first started out a very low percentage when I lived in Florida. And some older guys, they're they were my rock stars. name's Marty. He's the best, but they're a part of the Vietnam vets of America. They met me, I don't even remember how. And they're like, oh, what's your disability? And I told them they're like, um, no. They actually kind of just pulled me into their world and was like, we're going to help you get you set up with somebody to help get your disability corrected. I mean, years back, you know, I give them a lot of thanks still on like Facebook and stuff when I write them and Mm -hmm. I'm like, Hey Marty, you know, thank you for fixing my stuff nine years ago, you know, but um, it's really all about just reaching out asking questions and don't be afraid to take the help.
1: Yeah, um, (laughs) absolutely. So like you, I got out very after 10 years of infantry work and it Mm. was, it was a extremely low percentage and I would tell people that knew and they were like, what, like, is that a joke? And I said, I mean, that's what they said. And I moved on. I didn't understand the system, but I also wasn't asking for help. Right. I was just trying to survive life at the time. Um, The transition can be very difficult. (laughs) So I appreciate you sharing that and, and like i said once again this is a message to all the veterans that are transitioning Mm -hmm. we know how difficult the story is and i keep saying like you i like Mm -hmm. you i right when i meet with people i hear this repeated story i got Mm -hmm. out man it was so hard i was struggling my family was pushing me to get help Uh, my neighbors were pushing me to get help (laughs) my old commander was pushing me to get help well and then i finally got some help and things started to change right for the positive not easier Right. For the positive. Yeah. And that's what I'm hoping that your story does today is that people hear this. So I want you to share it, but yeah. um, that people hear this story and they realize that they're not alone. There's a ton of organizations out there. We've named a few. We'll wrap up naming a few more, but that there's help out there. There's just tons and tons of people that want to help, yeah. but they're not going to come find you. Right? Exactly. <laughs> and speak into that advocacy part of advocating for yourself, even if you can't do that, be willing to ask for help. Yes. Right. So what lessons have you learned on your journey about asking for help?
2: Ah, so many. (laughs) Biggest lessons I've learned. Um, I think one of the biggest ones is not denying help when it is presented to you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not as clear as, you know, somebody come up to you and be like, I'm going to help you. It could be your friend, family member, you know, somebody you just bump into at the cell phone store um, that can just see something in you. And they're just like, Hey, have you thought about going to the VA or have you thought about, I mean, my dad was pretty blunt and you need help, but um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think everybody's as lucky to just get it thrown right in your face. But Yeah, definitely just being open minded, you know, not taking it as like a slam to your ego. Like your ego has nothing to do with you getting help at all. Right. Nobody is a bigger, badder person for sitting there and going, I'm fine. I have 12 deployments and everything's peachy and I got no issues. It's like, okay, you don't get a special crown for that.
1: Like, There's no gold, there no was, gold star. There is no gold star for that. Um,
2: really, all you're doing is hurting yourself and those around you, ultimately, your family, your friends. I mean, really, if somebody, if somebody brings it up to you instead of putting up your defenses and being like, no, I don't need your help, you know, at least maybe hear them out a little bit or be like, hey, you know, today's not the day to talk to me about it, but maybe next week or tomorrow. Right. So be open to it.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I and I think that sometimes, and I know I experienced it myself. There was a, a repeated message from several different sources, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's that's usually when you go, oh. Well, maybe there is something to this. I keep getting the same message from multiple sources outside yes. my family, organizations, people I bump into in the grocery store. Yeah. Like, hey, man, you don't look too so good. And you're like, no, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm fine. And you keep coming back with this. I'm fine. Yeah. Um, so one of the one of the main missions for this show is destigmatizing mental health and, yes. and getting help and things like that. And I think you've done just an incredible job of promoting that, getting help. And the other part of that, that there's this stigma around mental health. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I know from my personal experience, I had a stigma around the VA. Yes. Right? I was like, ew, no. <laughs> right? and, and it took people pushing me a little bit outside my comfort zone. Then I engaged. Mm. wow. Oh my gosh. The VA is here to help us. The yeah. VA is here to guide us. The VA is here to point us in the direction for help. If they can't get it to us, they're going to find someone that can. I mean, it's just, it changed my life. It right. really did positively impact myself and my family over the last six years. Cause it took me about three years to get there once y- I got yeah. out. So um,
2: I won't say how many years it took me to get there, but,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you made it. I made it. there. Yeah, you made it. So if anyone is struggling, uh, get there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely one way or another. Yeah. And one of the things that I I, I like to remind people about when they're, oh, what lone wolfing it, right? Mm-hmm. Like I got this, like you said, just strong and, yeah. and I'm not, I don't need help. I don't need this. And then I always want to ask them, I'm like, did you go to combat alone? Yeah. Like, did you deploy to Afghanistan and Iraq by yourself? Just, did they just, just drop you off? Yeah. No, I had a team. Okay. Well, we're that team now. Right. Right. Let us be that team for you here in the States. Let right. us be that team that helps your injuries, both seen and unseen. Yep. You know? And get into some of these communities and they'll they'll help work on that. Um yeah, that ego injury. Right? Yeah, it
2: is <laughs> ego injury. I like that. Yeah. It is an ego injury. <laughs> yeah.
1: And and sometimes the best medicine, like you said, is just community. Yep. Just community sitting in a group of people that you go, oh man, they get it.
2: Yeah. Just like-minded people.
1: Mm-hmm. What, five years now? Is that approximately how long you've been on the helping side of the the professional helping side, right? Kids yes. Management and all that. Mm-hmm. So um, in that, I'm, like we said, we've talked about several community resources that you've come across. Is there any more that you would like to get out as a message to the listeners? Like, here's a good place to start. Here's a few things you can do like places they can go, things like that. Let's say I'm a veteran, right? Mm-hmm. And regardless of my discharge, I got into some legal trouble, where would be a good place for me to start? Seeking okay, help? so
2: since you're saying that you're a veteran that you know has gotten into some legal trouble, I would assume either you got charged with something mm-hmm. um, within El Paso County. At least that's where my job lies is, you know, the Colorado Springs area. The VTC... You know, we do have the briefings every first and third Monday at the courthouse. So first thing to do, I would say, is um, apply for public defender. Even if, you know, a lot of people think maybe they make too much money or, um, you know, their disability percentage will get them disqualified and really try to find like that avenue of like, okay, you know, I know I have um, issues with substance abuse. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in order to help with the substance abuse, you know, you should probably, you know, look into the VA. VA has a ton of resources for substance abuse counseling. Um, They do like in individuals, they do group therapy, but overall really so I'm getting like lost in the like justice system, sound like
1: what you're wait. saying is even though like we talked it's about like... you and I even having similar stories, right? Mm-hmm. And veterans that are getting in trouble legally kind of have similar stories and backgrounds, but getting into the system and embracing that they're going to cater the help. Right. Substance abuse, domestic violence abuse is yes. going to get different types of support.
2: Right. So the uh, VTC. So it's all based around basically trauma. What trauma has this veteran or active duty member gone through? So it's not, you know, everybody goes through VTC. Everybody gets the same exact treatment and therapy. Um, it really is based off of, you know, that individual's charges, their background, their already disability percentage, maybe that the VA has diagnosed them. So, you know, you're not having somebody with domestic violent charges and, you know, they're only working on, say, like anxiety. It's like, well, there's something a lot bigger than that. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a whole blanket of therapy to cover everybody. It's really individualized by the person and their charges.
1: Right. In the, in the collaboration, right? I mean, it's just it, a multidisciplinary group comes yes. around that soldier individually and says, how can, where do we need to plug you in? Where do you need support? And let's get you down the road. And then you're managing all those bits and pieces for him, right? Let's get you right. to this. Let's get you to that. Here's your therapy for this specific thing. And then making sure that we're making our, our court date and things like that. So once again, I mean, it comes back to community, engaging in it, mm-hmm. uh, kind of setting aside our ego for a minute and saying, yeah, I do need some help. Yes. Right.
2: And even if you don't have a connection to the VA yet, um, that's why, you know, we say like community is such a big thing. It's that if you don't get or, you know, get services from the VA, that doesn't mean you're just exempt from therapy and you get like a free pass out of, you know, therapy. There are different organizations, you know, like Mount Carmel or FCC different insight services, services that, you know, we can refer out to so that, you know, that veteran or service member who doesn't have the VA to fall back on yet because of bad papers or whatever, they still have somewhere to go and get the help that's needed.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And and it sounds like you really enjoy being a part of all of that.
2: I do. It's, you know, like I said, it's mainly basically like a two-year program for people in VTC. It's really, I think, a cool thing to witness, you know, somebody you meet Day one in jail, just they have either come close to their rock bottom or that is their rock bottom life just kind of not making sense yet to two years, three years later, you know, just a completely different person. And they're like, hey, thank you for getting you know me to do that or dealing with X, Y, and Z. So in a sense, it's kind of like me thinking back to like my dad telling me like, hey, you need help. It's like nine years ago, me is not the same me as now. Right. Um. So it's really cool is to be a part of that in the, the group and the community and watching, you know, vets and active duty, you know, graduate vet court. And it's not just an automatic because you got charged with something, you know, that's, that's the end of your life. You're, you know, always going to be a felon or, you know, whatever. Um, it really is like kind of like a starting over process and like getting the help that you need and the therapies and sobriety, a lot of things that. We veterans or active duty like to think, you know, it's pretty easy, but, you know, reality, it takes takes a whole village to try and get you on the, the right path for yourself.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for being on the show, Nikki. Yep. And I think overarching message of you sharing your story. And again, we're so honored to hear that and we're, we're grateful and it helped hopefully everyone that's listening to understand that, uh, you know, if you got if you got a a wound on your leg or your arm, you go to the doctor, Mm -hmm. right? If you have a wound in your head or inside your heart, there's doctors for that too. Right. And we need to do that. So thank you for sharing your story. I hope that anyone out there that's hurting or listening to this reaches out and, and I think they would be shocked at the amount of support and people that would rally
0: around them and build them up. Oh, most definitely. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.
1: I hope that you appreciated my conversation with Nikki. We'd love to hear your thoughts if you drop us an email at militarymind at FCCsprings.com. Next I'd like to introduce this week's Homefront Military Network Partner of the Week, Pikes Peak Community College. Pikes Peak Community College has as many dreams here as they do students, and they come in every variety high school grads, veterans, single moms, factory workers, artists, bookworms, and retirees from every race, ethnicity, and age. This creates a supportive learning environment and a sense of belonging for those who want to build a better future while staying close to home or for travelers on their way from here to everywhere. Pikes Peak Community College is the largest, most diverse post-secondary educational institution in Southern Colorado and offers associate's degrees, certifications in career and technical fields, and three bachelor degree programs. With three campuses, various off-campus locations, two military education centers, the Center for Healthcare Education and Simulation, and hundreds of online classes, Pikes Peak Community College provides access to quality, affordable, and flexible education to more than 20,000 students annually with both credit and non-credit classes. Pikes Peak Community College was established in 1968 as El Paso County's Community College, a two-year college offering three associate's degrees operating out of a rented building in old Colorado City. The first year enrollment was roughly 800 students. The first graduate... Graduation was held in April 1970 at Bancroft Park, yielding 17 associate's degrees and 70 certifications. Enrollment rapidly grew, in part because of the emphasis placed on military programs, which have become a significant aspect of the college, and the need for permanent facilities became apparent. Early in 1973, the U.S. government declared 212 acres of land along the northern border of Fort Carson as surplus land And, on February 15, 1974, the deed to the site was transferred to the State Board of Community Colleges and Occupational Education for use by El El Paso County Community College. The full service Centennial Campus was built in 1978 and the College Council approved a new name, Pikes Peak Community College. The college experienced a variety of changes throughout the 1970s, including a tremendous surge in occupational majors due to the heavy veteran enrollment the birth of KEPC College Radio, along with the arrival and departure of collegiate sports teams and the El Paso County International Community College in Germany. Despite these changes, Pikes Peak Community College stayed true to its historical roots by adapting to serve community needs first and foremost. Over the past four decades, Pikes Peak has expanded on that mission, helping active duty veterans and their family members make the most of their military benefits benefits and attain a quality, affordable education, the foundation for thousands of careers. Pikes Peak Community College is continually expanding their programs to address critical workforce needs. One example is the new Center for Healthcare Education and Simulation, which houses classrooms for nursing and and allied health programs and a state-of-the-art interdisciplinary simulation lab. This means Pikes Peak Community College can increase enrollment in nursing and allied health programs by 20 to 50% over the next three years. Pikes Peak Community College continues to grow the thriving downtown art scene with its new studio West Building on the downtown campus. It houses a modernized art gallery as well as a black box theater dance rehearsal and performance space. Because PPCC offers more than 200 degrees and certificate programs, we have advisors and online tools to help students navigate their choice and help them turn their passions into something tangible, something extraordinary, a fulfilling and rewarding career. Here are some basic facts regarding being a student at Pikes Peak Community College. With more than 20,000 students, PPCC is the largest and most diverse college in the Pikes Peak region. PPCC serves the largest veteran population in Colorado and nearly 3,000 veterans per year attend the college. Average class size is 16. PPCC offers transferable credits to UCCS, CSU, Regis, and many other four-year colleges and universities throughout the nation tuition costs approximately 4651 annually two semesters at 15 credits per semester and can vary based on the program of study ppcc students receive a rate of return of 13 percent on the money they invest in tuition ppcc Awards 1 million in scholarships annually most students who apply for scholarships or financial aid get assistance their nationally accredited child development center provides quality care and education services for children children from six weeks to five years old. The military and veteran po- Program MVP is a department of PPCC that is dedicated to supporting our active duty veterans and their family members. They are college employees as well as veterans, family members, and civilians dedicated to providing you the best educational experience PPCC can offer. MVP is your go-to source for assistance with on-post, on-base, compressed general education classes in eight-week or shorter formats designed to fit the schedule of active duty military, college application, enrollment, and student portal training, as well as general college information, academic advising on how to use your benefits to ensure benefit eligibility, evaluation on active duty military training for college credit, prior learning assessment, tutoring, and academic support through Veterans Upward Bound, VUB, community-based referrals for non-educational assistance, engagement in military and veteran-related programming and events including Veteran Day Observation, membership in the student veterans organization, military withdrawal from class due to duty conflict, and discount spouse tuitions for classes taken on military sites. Active duty spouses must also be concurrently enrolled in an on-site class. Pikes Peak Community College has a dedicated military and veteran center of excellence where their specialized advisors and counselors are trained in veteran issues. They can walk you through your VA education benefits along with other military funding opportunities for both service members and family. Pikes Peak Community College also provides full service offices on-site that will help you with your application, advising, registration, placement testing, and credits for prior learning, in addition to helping with tuition assistance. Life can be complicated. That's why PPCC offers maximum flexibility with day, evening, and weekend courses in traditional or online or a hybrid format. Pikes Peak Community College offers several programs and services specific for military veteran students, including work studies, the Military Arts Connection, Veterans Upward Bound, and the Students Veteran Organization and more. At Pikes Peak Community College, they offer more paths to success than Colorado offers mountain trails. To get a full picture of everything Pikes Peak Community College provides and what's required for admission, please visit www.ppcc. Thanks for checking out the Homefront Military Network Resource of the Week. If you want to hear more about the Homefront Military Network, you can find them online at homefrontmilitarynetwork.org. And if you would like to find out more about Family Care Center, you can find them at fcsprings.com. The Family Care Center is the Pikes Peaks region leading provider of comprehensive behavioral health for service members, veterans, and their families. They prioritize you and your family with the range of outpatient mental health services, including individual, couples, group, and family therapy, as well as medication management. Heighten your emotional wellness and receive the professional care you need from the caring and highly skilled team at the Family Care Center. So Thank you for taking time to listen to the show. It would be great to hear your feedback. I'd like to answer any questions you may have or know what you'd like to hear about. What topics about military and veteran mental health are you interested in? Send me an email at militarymind at FCCsprings.com, and there's a chance that we will discuss it on an upcoming show. I would also like to remind you that the information provided on this show is for educational purposes only. While I am a mental health professional, I am not your mental health professional. If what we discussed in this episode brings up any concerns for you, it is highly recommended that you consult with a clinical mental health professional. Stay tuned for another great show next week. And until then, remember, you are not alone, ever. You've been listening to Inside the Military Mind, addressing mental health and wellness for service members, veterans, and their families. Sponsored by Family Care Center, Behavioral Health Services, our family caring for your family, fcsprings.com. Tune in every Saturday at 11 a.m. for Inside the Military Mind
0: on KPPF and listen to the companion podcast on Podbean. Family Care Center is a comprehensive outpatient behavioral health clinic providing critical mental health support to service members, veterans, family members, and our local community. Family Care Center focuses on the mental health and wellness of those who have served our country's military by providing best-in-class evidence-based therapy, medication management, and transcranial magnetic stimulation. Family Care Center's clinical staff is dedicated to meeting every client's outpatient behavioral health care needs. This is Dr. Chuck Weber inviting you to